0: Good morning everyone or good afternoon or good evening depending upon where you are on this rotating globe Welcome to another edition live of The Other Side of Midnight That magical time between dusk and dawn when anything can happen And tonight we are going back to Mars Because a year ago, literally a year ago and one day the NASA Perseverance rover, this extraordinary golf cart sized mini car with incredible instrumentation nuclear powered twenty plus cameras, all of them in color, well, except for one or two there's a there's a sky cam that looks up that's in black and white but uh the has cams and the nav cams and the mass cams uh And the Watson camera, you know, that's the uh, Sherlock companion, named after, of course, uh, an acronym that is supposed to read Sherlock Holmes. The Watson camera, really good camera, excellent camera on the spacecraft. Uh, They're all color, as opposed to the ones on Curiosity, which actually uh, uh, a lot of those cameras, the 17 cameras on Curiosity, uh, a lot of those were black and white. Well, they upgraded for Perseverance. And a year ago, plus one night, uh, last year in 2021, the Perseverance rover landed at a place on Mars called Jezero Crater, and thus began, as you'll hear tonight, an extraordinary tale, because there's kind of like two tracks to this story. There's the track that NASA's been following, the carefully monitored, carefully narrated narrative that they've been giving us for the last year. And then there's all the really cool stuff. I mean, the Perseverance spacecraft, Percy to his friends, um, has been giving us some extraordinary confirmations of models that we've been pursuing for oh something like uh, 30 or 40 years. Remember, the Enterprise mission model is that there used to be a succession of ancient human civilizations planet Mars. And at some point in the not-too-distant past, uh, Mars became literally, finally, terminably uninhabitable, and the last few refugees came to the only place in the solar system that they could, which was here. And henceforth... Uh, human civilization living here on earth has been extraordinarily complicated, bifurcated, dissected, fragmented, and um, all the other, you know, separate words you might want to use. And that's the status of the world tonight. As we are poised on the brink of what could be in the worst case scenario, Um, a major land war in Europe, which, of course, has not happened since 1939, since the beginning of World War II. So it's kind of appropriate that tonight we're going to delve into the history of the planet uh, Mars, the god of war, which, of course, in terms of our research, uh, is actually... A relatively recent transformation of a planet that we have found to be, and we're going to talk about this at some length tonight, a planet of artwork, of the arts, of extraordinary sculptures, of a people who scribbled and sculpted and drew on almost everything in one of those post-ancient civilization cultures, which apparently has dominated the last uh, uh, several hundred thousand years on the red planet. Anyway, all of that to be discussed in some detail with our uh, the members of our uh, enterprise mission imaging team. We have two of the most intensive researchers with us tonight, Ron Braun, our resident generalist, and Andrew Curry, who is kind of our resident artist and he has done an amazing job of putting artwork to the imagery so that even those who have difficulty seeing geometry amid the noise can easily see what is there in the Perseverance imagery. Before we get to that, however, uh, I want to take a few minutes here and kind of talk about some news items. If you go to the other side of Midnight, which is our URL, if you're new to the show, I will lead you through a very easy way to get to where we're going to be showing images tonight. You go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. And you look for tonight's banner, which says, Percy, one year after a few of its most amazing Martian confirmations. You click on that banner that takes you to tonight's guest page. Under the guest page, you'll see fast links to items. Uh my name, Andrews, Rons and Keith Morgan, who of course is our resident IT expert, as well as being one of the uh Enterprise Mission Imaging Team members. And Keith has some very intriguing comparisons with ancient things here on Earth to talk about later tonight or this morning, whatever the case may be. So you click on my name under in, in Fast Links, that takes you down to my first item in Radio with Pictures. Um, We're gonna lead tonight again with two items which are kind of positioned at the top of the news, which is the Webb telescope, both what its current status is and where it is. So link number one, the Webb team, as you know, after they arrived on the station at the L2 point, which is now in a halo orbit around the L2 point, about a million miles away from Earth, in the direction away from the sun in an orbit that takes them about six months to make that one circuit, that one halo orbit of this mythical point in space called the L2 uh, balance point. What they're doing now uh, in the shadow of the sun shield, this five-layered Kevlar blanket that they deployed... Which is about the size of a tennis court. And again, it's amazing that everything that they had to deploy, this Rube Goldberg, incredible mechanical nightmare with pulleys and cables and sprockets and everything worked. So the telescope, which had to be unfolded, the main mirror had to be unfolded, just like the solar blanket, all of that worked. And they're now hiding in the shadow of this tennis court-sized shield of Kevlar, five layers, which prevents the sunlight, which is basically at 1 AU from the sun, because what's a million miles among friends and at a distance of 93 million miles from our closest star. And in that shadow, the instruments and the telescope and all the ancillary equipment is slowly cooling down to just a few degrees above absolute zero. Why are they cooling this telescope? Well, the James Webb Space Telescope, unlike Hubble, is an infrared-sensitive instrument. And since infrared is basically, in terms of some wavelengths, heat radiation, it's very bad if your detector is at room temperature because it will swamp with its own internal heat and infrared radiation, any faint radiations you were trying to pick up from far, far beyond. So the answer is to passively cool in the shadow of a giant sun shield the size of a tennis court, uh, a telescope which is about uh, 20, 21, 22 feet across in terms of the primary mirror. Which is composed of eighteen separate sub mirrors in the form of hexagons, so tonight's blog, which is what item number one is, is a report from the team, the web team, of how they've now got um the eighteen separate telescopes to where they're producing starlight they're focused on one star, and of course because the mirror the primary mirror is made of eighteen separate segments, they actually now have 18 separate images in various focus, um, out of focus, geometrically arrayed as a kind of a giant set of hexagons uh, of those 18 separate telescopes that are focused on the camera, one of many cameras in the spacecraft and the instrumentation that will ultimately be analyzing uh, the throughput, giving us amazing images in a variety of infrared wavelengths, and, of course, looking at the uh, composition spectroscopically of the targets the telescope will eventually be aimed upon. So they're doing the alignment, and uh, if you want to read the details of how they're doing it, click on item number one. Item number two is a kind of a constant feature that accompanies number one. It's where is web. Both physically in space, as well as in terms of its instrumentation, uh, in terms of the uh, slow process of bringing all these mirrors into the same focus, lining them up, superimposing the images one over the other to within fractions of a wavelength of light, a process which is going to take from now till probably around July. So this is a long elaborate, laborious process. And part of that process involves allowing the instrumentation to continue to cool down by means of passive radiation in the shadow of that sun shield to where it will reach temperature of only a few degrees above absolute zero and maximum sensitivity to the infrared radiations, which are going to be coming from a whole variety of Interstellar, intergalactic and cosmological sources across the vast infinite night of the universe, which is uh, 3.7 uh, billion uh, I'm you know billion plus years old. So um, against that ba- I'm sorry, 13.7 billion against that backdrop, um, let's return back to Earth. Item number three, this is uh, very interesting. This is a a think piece written by a friend and a colleague, John Callum, who I may have on the show in the next couple of weeks because he's written a very interesting um, article with references and diagrams and graphics asking the question, why might Putin's Russia want to invade Ukraine? Now, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had our uh, resident historian, Dr. Richard Spence, on, and we talked at great length about uh, the historical background of Ukraine, its close ties to Mother Russia, uh, the migrations of peoples, the vicissitudes of being part of various empires, including the Polish Empire and the Lithuanian Empire, and all of this background to why You know, Russia, i.e. Putin, is dealing with Ukraine the way he is. This is a very interesting take from a totally different point of view. This is kind of like an HD physics perspective. What Kalman is doing is analyzing in the sweep of Mayan, the Mayan calendar, the various frequency waves of the physics that he is attuning to the permutations and resonances in the ancient Mayan calendar. And he analyzes the uh, relationship of Putin's Russia to Ukraine and this impending catastrophic war, which could break out at any moment as we're on the brink of something which is so, or, or could be so potentially destabilizing at this critical time in the physics what's so interesting to me about this is that kalaman and i have not talked and uh, i'm going to call him up and ask him if he wants to come on and talk about his theory but we both arrived at the same conclusion which is it's not an accident that there is this major impending global conflagration triggered by another major land war in europe if it comes to pass, at exactly the same time that the physics is providing us a window of consciousness to make very different decisions. So then the question arises, is this impending war that Putin seems to be really spearheading, is it accidental in time, or is it designed at some higher level, perhaps not even consciously ...acted out by the players involved to distract us from this extraordinary window where the planet, where Earth can make some extraordinary high-level hyper-dimensional decisions and choices. So you're going to want to read that with an idea that maybe there are things that are um, uh, modulating terrestrial history that are far beyond the relatively mundane and short-term geopolitical decisions of the various actors, including Vladimir Putin himself. So, as I said, um, um, I'm going to maybe talk to Kalman this week and have him come on and talk in great detail about how he arrived at this very interesting uh, uh, set of conclusions, that there could be something much bigger than just another geopolitical confrontation behind what's occurring or could be occurring in Eastern Europe in the next few days. Fingers crossed. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at the planet Mars, and we haven't looked at Mars for a very long time. So I want you to kind of look at item number four there in my section. This is an official uh, website. This is a Planetary Society And it's their perspective on the Pioneer plaque, which in their piece they title Science as a Universal Language. Uh, There's a backstory, And some people over the last several weeks, as we've been working this interstellar extraterrestrial communications story, starting with our broadcast to Oumuamua, and then graduating to... um, the broadcast that we did a couple weeks ago from stonehenge and as you know tomorrow afternoon um, tomorrow morning u.s time tomorrow afternoon british time uh maria wheatley is once again going to be going into stonehenge with the radios and she's going to be transmitting about two minutes of a very carefully constructed message and she's going to be recording everything that happens Uh, beginning several miles away from Stonehenge and occupying her time as she transits around the monument and then exits after um, a couple, three hours. We have a network of other participants set up uh, around the world, particularly here in the North American continent, which is, you know, thousands of miles away from Stonehenge. In the first go around, we got some very intriguing answers on Michael Hill's radios, on Keith's radios outside Washington, D.C., on my radio, David Sarita's radio um, in Canada, in Western Canada. And so we're going to do this all again, except we've added Dennis Stone and one of Maria's friends in New York State, upper New York State, uh, not far from a place called Balanced Rock. And so we've got this network of receivers Uh, Maria is going to transmit again and record, and the rest of us are merely recording to see if this ancient sacred site network resonates in response. And whoever is talking to us will respond to this new coded set of messages and will expand our awareness of who we're talking to and why they're answering. Well, with that as backdrop, as I was putting this show together tonight vis-a-vis Mars, I kind of realized that there's a there's a kind of an elegant, um, almost uh, karmic reason why I find myself involved in these ET communications experiments. And it goes way back to the creation of the Pioneer plaque in 1971. So. Suffice to say, and you can read the details, particularly in item number five, which is the story of uh, my association with the creation of the Pioneer plaque with a colleague and a friend named Eric Burgess, who was one of the co-founders of the British Interplanetary Society. Um, There's a story there, a backstory, which I will not go through because we don't have a lot of time and you can read it for yourself. But the background, the bottom line is that there is this elegant connection between me doing this show, heading the Enterprise mission, the research uh, arm of what we're doing here, and the connection to extraterrestrial communications, which have now culminated in radio transmissions to Oumuamua, and then further radio transmissions from Stonehenge uh, in England. And apparently, Uh, For those who are interested in kind of karmic closing of the circle, it began with uh, Eric and my collaboration with Carl Sagan on the generation of humankind's first modern interstellar message in the form of a plaque that was sent on a NASA spacecraft in 1972 on a one-way journey past Jupiter into the interstellar void, and it's still out there. Both spacecraft, Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11, which both carried plaques, and then their subsequent descendants, the Voyagers, and then the New Horizons. In other words, what we did is we managed to create a kind of a cottage interstellar communications industry, not in the form of radio waves, but in the form of physical objects, spacecraft that would depart the solar system Never to return, carrying like cosmic bottles, these messages that we conceived uh, to send into interstellar space. So that someday if these spacecraft are intercepted, are detected, are picked up, are, are plucked out of space time by either ourselves, our dim, dim, dim descendants when we develop interstellar capabilities and or Some other extraterrestrial civilization that's kind of wandering the star halls of the galaxy thousands of years from now, if they come across these artifacts, these spacecraft, on them are a series of messages sent by human beings, by humanity, into the interstellar void to basically announce we are here. And this is what we're about. And this is who we are. And Eric and I were the uh, progenitors of a fleet of the spacecraft, which are now scurrying across the interstellar night, carrying a variety of different media and different messages. And it all began with Pioneer 10. And the story of that Genesis is told in item number five. Which takes us to item number six, because I think it was that background, the idea of looking at coding of messages and how do you speak to beings that you will maybe never meet, that you don't share a common language with, certainly not Esperanto or English or Arabic or Russian or any other of our contemporary languages, how would you talk across space and time to total strangers. You may be genetically related to, but in terms of culture, in terms of a common identifiable language, there is alien to you as the desert winds of Mars are alien currently to humanity on Earth. So in, um, in the 1980s, early 80s, um, I began, as you know, if you've read the monuments of Mars, taking kind of seriously some images that were taken of a Northern Martian desert called Cydonia. And with some other colleagues like Errol Torin and Keith Morgan and some other people, we began decoding what could only be described as an elegant mathematical message laid out upon the landscape of Mars in the universal language of mathematics and geometry. And our decoding of that message is there itemized in number six in my section of radio pictures tonight. So when I kind of look back and answer to some of these people who've been asking me an email, why are you suddenly so obsessed with talking to aliens? It's because it looks like in my professional career going back many decades to the genesis of the pioneer plaque on pioneer that i've been involved in doing this um, one way or another for many many years so it's kind of elegant that it all should come together in terms of um, sending et messages from one ancient monument on earth i.e stonehenge and in a few weeks we're going to be able to transmit uh, another set of messages from the Great Pyramid at Giza itself. As we get closer, we'll describe the background to that remarkable opportunity, because whether you're aware of it or not, there is an actual mathematical connection, which is described in great detail in the Monuments of Mars, which is my uh, uh, kind of tell-all book on the story of the Mars investigation, the independent Mars investigation, and then the enterprise mission genesis and the addition of various team members and what we've figured out and what we haven't figured out in terms of these ongoing NASA missions where they accumulate a lot of data and they make it public, but they don't say anything about the presence on Mars of ancient extraterrestrial intelligent artifacts. It's kind of like that subject is taboo, but they do as you'll hear as we go through the morning, seem to respond to outside discoveries. And in fact, as part of the Perseverance mission, as we would find things over the last year, they appear to have responded and taken additional data almost for our benefit, but without comment, then they posted it. And then in the weeks following, we would take that data, we would process it, we would analyze it, we would utilize it, we would put it into the, you know, discussion among ourselves and we would report back on this show in subsequent weeks the results of the analysis of data that we literally would not have had unless the JPL crew running Perseverance quietly in the background simply followed through and did more observations to fulfill what our analysis was indicating. It's a very strange, uh, almost um, well, I, I don't know how to describe the relationship. It's um, it's kind of unique. Okay, we're coming down to the bottom of the hour. And when we come back, I'm going to introduce uh, our team members tonight as we kind of go through, for the benefit of many of you who have not been following the Perseverance closely, the rather amazing, astonishing, historic confirmations of our overall extraterrestrial model which is that some people at some time seem seem to have lived on the surface of the planet Mars and in the most bizarre fashion they appear to have been related to us and our job is in fact to try to figure out who they were and when they finally came here, and how they are related to the current group of humans living and warring and competing on planet Earth itself. Tonight, perseverance, one year after. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. (laughs)
1: continue to work on yourself the tribe comes forward they'll come right to your door so just keep doing the work and it'll come together as you increase your frequency then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it and so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed, into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed or if you ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us Accept our mess and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer and I was on the other side of the view and I really enjoy my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and and what we're heading towards. I really recommend listening in and and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important, and these are the times to do it, and we're being asked, to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond beyond the box.
0: Welcome back, everyone. On this Saturday night, February nineteenth, it was uh, one year and one day. Yesterday, in fact, yesterday afternoon, that Perseverance landed in this very extraordinary place on Mars called Jezero Crater. And right out of the box, it did some amazing things. It transformed. The terrestrial conservation it threw nasa into a veritable tizzy fit it completely discombobulated for weeks the flagship of nasa television to where i kind of started recording everything because none of the titles matched the times because what they did is they took out planned press conferences and left huge holes in the schedule that they didn't repair for weeks all because of the first image that was transmitted from the spacecraft. So if you go back to the other side of midnight, okay, and click on uh, uh, the banner, and that will take you to the guest page, and under there you'll see fast links to items, click on my items, go down and look at number seven, because for decades, Since the 1970s, we've been told that NASA is literally the red planet, and they've shown us endless photographs, images from Viking and uh, Spirit and Opportunity and uh, other spacecraft that we've landed, that the reddish skies of Mars are kind of russet or salmon or kind of a greenish puke color. But it certainly doesn't look like anything we think of in terms of a habitable world of another smaller Earth until in the Martian afternoon of the 18th of February of 2021, as this Perseverance spacecraft touched down and opened its eyes and took its first color wide-angle panorama view with what were called the hazard cams. There, if you look at number seven, click on it and it gets very large. There was a gorgeous, gorgeous afternoon on Mars and the sky was a gorgeous blue. And it completely, as my grandmother would have said, put the cat among the pigeons because NASA wasn't the same in terms of its planned programming, press conferences, all of that stuff for weeks. So what is so discombobulating about this image? What was so absolutely outrageous about this first beautiful live, well, 20 minutes late because it took that long to get the signal back from Mars at the speed of light of a color panorama of the Martian landscape? Well, the answer was the color of the sky. Because in this unadulterated, unabridged, uncensored, live shot, 20 minutes late, from Mars, the color picture showed the lie to everything that NASA has been saying about Mars and the color of the sky and the ground and the dust in the air and the dust storms and all of this For the last, you know, almost 50 years, since the 1970s, since the first Viking shots that had to be corrected, a change from, as Carl Sagan said that afternoon when Viking landed, oh, it looks like an Arizona desert. And suddenly a technician goes running around turning all the monitors to where the colors of Mars turn almost blood red. And the reddish Mars, in various guises and tints and hues, have been that way ever since, until this stunning afternoon, a year and a day ago tonight, when suddenly, in a live, unexpurgated transmission, the real skies of Mars shone through, and they. blue now the reason this is important is item number eight if you click on item number eight because we've been told now ever since uh mariner four flew by mars in the um, summer of 1965 that mars has an incredibly thin atmosphere something like one one hundredth of the atmosphere of earth which means that if you were to stand on mars according to all the pre-landing paintings by Chesley Bonstell and others, the sky should be pitch black and not even a hint of blue, except maybe very close to the horizon. In other words, the Martian atmosphere, we have been told since the 1970s, since the 1960s, actually, is so thin that the closest equivalent is the atmosphere of the earth above 100 Thousand feet. So take a look at number eight. This is a comparison. Click on it; it gets big. On the left is an actual photograph taken by a a, a German skydiver, who, sponsored by Red Bull, uh, basically jumped out of a sealed capsule at about 120,000 feet and free fell to a low altitude. You know, like 20,000 feet above the earth before he popped his parachute. So this is a kind of a duplication of a scientific experiment by a guy named Kittinger uh, in the 1960s, late 1960s, who free fell from over 100,000 feet. Look at the horizon. The camera, which is an automatic camera, is taking a picture of the earth. That's the curved bluish band in the far distance. And above that band is black. And below that band is the earth, is life, as uh, Bill Shatner said. And that bluish band is the atmosphere where you can breathe, which is well, well, well below the altitude at which this skydiver is poised to make his historic jump. On the right is that color view from the first Hazcam image from the surface of Mars after Percy landed. Look at how bright the sky is. Look at how blue over on the right the sky is. But we're told that the atmosphere that we're looking through is the equivalent density of 100,000 feet above the Earth. Now again, take a look at the left-hand picture. That's a photograph taken 100,000 feet plus above the Earth. Look at the right-hand picture. That's a picture taken on Mars which is obviously not the same as the picture on the left. The photographs don't lie. The data doesn't lie. You can't build an atmosphere where there is no atmosphere. You can't create scattering and molecular scattering from carbon dioxide or nitrogen or oxygen because all molecules are basically about the same size. So irrespective of the composition Of the martian atmosphere if it's only the atmosphere we're looking at it should be blue and the brightness of the blue is dependent on the density so very very faint atmosphere thin very 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 pale blue black very high density atmosphere very bright and very colorful and blue so you look at those two pictures What is wrong with this comparison? In other words, what is wrong with the planet Mars as NASA has been portraying it for over the last 50 years? Something is radically wrong, and it's not the photographs. It's their interpretation by our friendly local neighborhood space agency. Okay, now fast forward the film. That's the first shot and the first comparison of the unexpurgated version of Percy, which threw NASA into a tizzy as recorded by NASA television and canceled press conferences and a whole bunch of very amateurish activities by an agency, which should be very polished and professional. And when they came to trying to recoup from their shock and surprise, they were not very professional for week upon week upon week. I want to, Fast forward the film now to tonight, and I want to bring on Ron Gerbrand, who is our resident generalist, because Ron, for the last year, has been keeping close track of all the imagery that Perseverance has been publishing. And what he's going to do is kind of give you a thumbnail sketch of the process of taking pictures with this incredible robot on Mars and how they wind up on the website of JPL and ultimately in your own computers if you download them and then he's got something really strange to show you which is frankly I don't have an explanation for what you're going to you're going to see and what he's going to talk about and we don't either and frankly neither it seems does NASA so without further ado Ron why don't you come on and talk about the current mystery on February 19th 2022 a year plus one day after Percy landed on Mars, it's handed us another major, fascinating enigma. Talk about it. Okay.
2: Hello, everyone. Yeah. No. Hi. I'm here. Uh, the uh, if you will scroll down to number
0: six in my section. Okay. It's easier if you actually click on fast links, which is up under the banner on the guest page. Click on Ron.
2: Yeah, well, well that's you. what I
0: meant. And what number are we going to? Six. Number six. Exactly. Got
2: it. Yeah, there's so many pictures up tonight that I told Keith to put them in whatever order seemed best to him. So they're not listed. Anyway, uh, it's a comparison of two unusual objects on the surface of Mars taken by um, the rover, taken by Percy. On the left, we have I don't know what that's been there, obviously, quite a while, and is quite dusty. On the right, we have the mystery object that Richard's referring to, which is just from like two days ago,
0: taken like two days ago. Ron, did you go away? Uh, oh, it's one of those things where if we can go to the moon, why can't we have a simple Skype call? <laughs> uh, I'm getting him back. Okay. Here's a big message. Thank you. Come on, Ron. Okay. Uh, Every time we get to something interesting on the show, this has been a pattern going back many, many years since our economy into doing this back in 2015. Bizarre things happen electronically, and obviously someone uh, is interfering, or it could just be a random glitch. There's no way to know, but statistically, the glitches happen too often. Um, The one thing I – Interesting points. No, I'm back.
2: Oh, there you are. Keith was right on top of it yeah I seem to disappear whenever something interesting comes up but I don't know I have the image numbers you know right on the top if you look at the larger versions of those two images paired together there and uh, wherever that thing is it's not too far from where perseverance is now because they've been doubling back on their tracks but they're not following the exact same path Uh, at least
0: not according to them Did he disappear again? Yes, he did. Oh, this is nuts. <laughs> um, actually, um, I kind this of hope- – This is getting
2: controversial. This is kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah. It's a- anyway, I
2: uh, I think that it's something that uh, they will probably get a ticket for littering from the Martian um, traffic cops because it's uh, – I think it's part of the rover. It's the one on the right. Uh, that 's the new object, but i 'm not sure it does seem to be similar to something connected with their sampling, but that doesn 't look like a sample container. It looks like part of the mechanism that
0: stuffs the stuff in there right well, the thing that 's so bizarre is that you know every time Percy has hiccuped over the last year, uh you know it dropped what they called the belly pan, which was necessary to unveil the helicopter before they could lower it. To the surface because they have uh, They had it kind of glued up under The body of uh, Perseverance And when they landed with all the Retro rockets kicking up the Sand and dust and rocks They had to protect the delicate helicopter From you know debris And so they have this Metal aluminized Custom made uh, Form plate Which actually was more like a very rectangular Box with crinkles and You know wedges and all kinds of filigree and they would, they released that with, uh, um, you know, explosive bolts and then they drove away from it and you could see it lying there, obviously something artificial, clearly not part of the Martian landscape and it was part of the rover and they held a press conference and they put out a press release and they had pictures with arrows and circles and, you know, there was a big fanfare, you know, this was successful. And then when they, Deployed other equipment, they would go through an elaborate press release uh, with images, uh, kind of a narrative where they would describe what they were doing. This object, a couple days ago, on Sol 346, I think, thereabouts, it just suddenly appeared on the landscape in one of the pictures, and there's been zero press release, no press conference, no discussion. No explanation. If something fell off the rover, <clears throat> given that they're kind of accountable to the American taxpayer, they are kind of obligated. Uh, if, if for no other reason, the press will ask the, you know, embarrassing questions, so they sure, would. Sure, it's a two hundred thousand dollar coffee pot. Exactly. So you'd yeah. expect them, if it was from Percy, to say it's a, it's a, you know, a such and such framus. Nothing. Hmm. Crickets. Deafening silence. And it's obviously artificial. It's the, the photograph itself is kind of fuzzy. You know, it's amazing. We send, you know, a two bit plus billion dollar spacecraft and it takes fuzzy pictures. Um, even when there there's nothing unusual in the image, the pictures are kind of fuzzy. But in this
2: That's case, a, that is, it's a 600 percent enlargement, just in case anybody wants.
0: Well, it, that means it's relatively small. And the only thing I could think of is part of the core tube uh, sample extraction and archiving system that they're, you know, using to store in these little titanium cylinders, pieces of rock for a future uh, robotic mission to go in the next, you know, five years or so and basically collect and then send back to Mm -hmm. Earth. But they're not saying anything and if something, you know, when, when they had a problem a couple of weeks ago where they were doing a drilling and the drilling got stuck, you know, rocks got stuck in the maw of the, of the core tube drill, they did close-up imagery, they did a press conference, they put out a press release, they described how they were turning it upside down and shaking it to try to get rid of the debris. In other words, they over-explained something that was kind of mundane in this case this obviously mechanical cylindrical symmetrical object appears in a photograph and zero as i said crickets no explanation no comment no nothing which which you know is really bizarre now you had a personal experience recently in the last couple days with one of your contacts who kind of has a One foot in the black world, better known as the intelligence community. Describe what he said when you described this to him. Well, what
2: I got was some unexpected epic praise. Oh, that's terrific. That ought to might. Maybe you should have a press conference. It was just an email, but the reaction was funny because usually I get a point, you know, when it's something something like this. So uh, maybe it's a foobar. I, I'm I'm thinking seriously that NASA literally. It sounds bizarre, but I'm thinking that literally, literally they missed it. You know, like the uh, the picture process from.
0: Whoop! Did he go away again, Keith?
3: Yeah, stand back. He's
0: oh, back.
2: Oh, you <laughs> talk about- I'm starting to see a pattern here. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, Keith's quick on the trigger tonight uh, no the uh, yeah uh, the normal process it only takes a couple of hours Every night that I look I'm downloading images that from the timestamp on them they just took them a few hours before I mean I find that marvelous that's that's a wonderful achievement that it's, they automated the process of tra- of bringing the pictures back from Mars sticking them on the website. Just like that, and I think maybe occasionally, because it's a mundane, a mundane enough-looking picture. There's nothing other than this, which is in the middle of the frame, and, it, and Richard's right; it's fairly small, um, the uh, to catch your eye. And so even if there was somebody monitoring it for mysterious,
0: okay. Let me let me interrupt here, um, Andrew. Andrew, are 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 you with us? Yes. Okay. This is Andrew Curry. He's our resident artist. Actually, he's a lot more. Uh, he's <laughs> but, hilarious. He, he, he does he does, he does storyboards for movies. He does storyboards for commercials. Oh. He's had commercials Hello? in the Super Bowl. Oh. Yeah, Ron, uh, because Andrew, oh. do, do you have new data on this?
4: Well, I have um, two comments to make. I mean, I'm kind of with you guys. I think it's come
0: from the rover, sort of as it's been You
4: know rolling around but there was that richard what was that thing called that covered the parachute when the uh, perseverance came down and all the bolts went exploding out and all the debris went flying in the air could that possibly be something that they just came across
0: from that no 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 the odds would be infinitesimal you'd find something that tiny you know uh, that when they actually you know decelerated into the atmosphere a year ago um far to the west of where we are, right. is is where that material, you know, the explosive bolt released the parachute and all that. Right. And the idea that they would make it down to where you could literally wander by uh, on your way back north, uh, one of these things is just, I mean, the odds are infinitesimal. Right. Well,
4: here's the other one. And this is a <laughs> conspiracy theory, of course, but when uh, you guys referenced it, I immediately got an image from um, the Truman Show, (laughs) when a certain light.
0: Oh yes, yes, yes! Remember the lights in the sky that simulated the stars. Yeah. And Truman is going on his front walk, and something falls out of the ceiling. He doesn't know he's in an artificial world. Yeah. But in this dome, the object falls and lands just a couple of feet from him, and of course he's terrified momentarily because it could have hit him and killed him. And then the camera zooms in close. And its projector, which is marked Sirius.
4: And nine Canis
0: in, in parentheses. Well, Sirius is oh. the brightest star in Canis Major. Exactly. So, So. Yeah. so I, I mean, this is really weird. So, Ron, go back to describing the yeah. chain of how images get now in this modern era of the 21st century from a rover on Mars to Earth and to individual home computer screens, because unlike the old days, when you had a whole bunch of human beings involved in every step of the process, it's all now AI and robots. It's like, look, Ma, no hands. So you're right. This could have been missed because these guys don't have the time to look through literally hundreds of images that are coming down every day. And this got posted maybe automatically Or maybe our friends inside arranged for it to be posted so we would comment tonight about the latest weirdness from Perseverance on Mars.
2: I I, I think it's more that. I mean, I'm I'm sure they would have posted the image anyway. You know, there is nothing that destroys any paradigms from the original image uh, unless this is indeed something Martian. And we all kind of agree it's pretty terrestrial. But um, it – I mean, if it's something important, you would think that that part wouldn't work on the rover anymore, and they run self-checks constantly, so you'd think they'd figure that out. But, yeah,
0: the process... And they'd it have out. to announce yeah. it and hold a press conference and be accountable. Sure. I mean, there's a whole elaborate set of procedures so that things don't fail. Remember, NASA's mantra is no single yeah. point failure.
2: Yeah, so it wouldn't be the end of the world if the, their sample uh collecting uh, uh equipment was broken but uh, it probably isn't but in any case yeah richards right the the stuff comes down to jpl i mean i don't know all the equipment on li- in, in the line there and it's already uh, uh pretty much set up i mean i think i saw that they downloaded pretty much in the formats that we see uh the uh, it it's already gotten past that stage of being a just a stream of binary signals um when it gets to that that point. And they don't trim it. Anybody who downloads pictures from the raw image website to enjoy the fact that you're seeing something that was just photographed on Mars a few hours ago, uh, you'll notice there are these black strips that are on either side of the image itself. You know, the website background is black, so you don't see it unless you download the image. But there's uh, these trim strips, uh, like the, what do they call them, bars on a TV screen, uh, for, the, for the aspect ratio. They're not for that. I think it's just because there are slight variations in the ultimate size of the images. Maybe it has something to do with the camera. And um, they normally they'd trim that. If there were people in the line, that's one of the things they obviously used to do because all the images would be the exact number it said. And that's not the case with the Percy stuff, and it hasn't been from day one. It's, uh, they're not the same. They may say that it's 1600 by 12 uh, as image size. Go ahead and download one and look at it. It's not. It's a few pixels off this way or that. And so you, I, I advise anyone who wants to download images and process them in their own way, uh, trim that stuff off first because it gets in the way of the image enhancement. But I don't think it was a sinister intent either. I think it's just, there's, uh, this stuff's going up automatically. So I guess we will find out eventually, and certainly now somebody will notice. I mean, I I care more about the picture.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I think after tonight, someone is going to write a press release and try to explain this somehow. Hey, guys, hold it there. We're at the uh, top of the hour. It's your fault, Richard. Of course, course, though. They always blame it on me, okay? Okay, we are at the top of the hour. You're on Saturday night, February 19th, a day and a year. After Perseverance landed at this extraordinary location on Mars, Jezero Crater. And if you haven't been following this story, you ain't heard nothing yet. Because Jezero, of all, you know, we can kind of bring up uh, Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the world, they couldn't have landed in a more interesting place if they wanted to present us with the mysteries of the ancient history of Mars. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
5: a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com
0: And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, February 19th. A year ago, give or take, this incredible unmanned robot called Perseverance was landed on the planet Mars. And from the get-go, it put, as my grandmother would have said, the cat among the pigeons, because it gave us this gorgeous, full-color view of the horizon and the landscape and NASA was never the same for weeks, for weeks. Okay, what I want to do now, um, I presume that Ron is with us. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, and Andrew is with us. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to go through a couple of items here, because if you go back to uh, my items again... Right under the banner, click on Richard, and it will take you to Radio with Pictures on the guest page. Um, You want to look at my item number nine. Because shortly after this amazing, beautiful, natural, I mean, it, it could have been a photograph taken late afternoon in Arizona, as Carl said, back during the days of Viking. Or here in New Mexico, as Hogan would have said, you know, many decades later. Um, They uploaded another set of software, because apparently this picture was taken with what they called the flight software, meaning the computer uh, program that was loaded for the transit between Earth and Mars. And after they landed, they upgraded that to a whole new package of software, we were told, that would basically run the activities of the rover on the surface of Mars, which would integrate, you know, the taking of pictures by all these cameras, integrating them into a bit stream, you know, when they would contact the earth, what they would send first, what they would send second, all of this kind of automated. So um, as I used to say, two guys in a garage could basically run the spacecraft if they had to, because the AIs are really, and then what we noticed, and I noticed it, Ron noticed it, Andrew noticed it, uh, a whole bunch of people in the mainstream noticed it, including people who hang out on these specialized websites that uh, kind of hang on every word that NASA says. There's a couple of them. One is called uh, Unmanned Spaceflight.com. And there's a lot of NASA people, JPL people that kind of hang out and post there and comment on data. And so if you're part of that community, you kind of have an inside look as to what NASA's doing over and above press conferences, press releases, et cetera, et cetera, which I guess tells me I should be looking over there because I haven't been doing that you know, for several weeks to see if they have any comments about this unusual mechanical thing just showing up on the Martian surface with nobody saying anything about it. I mean, nothing, zero. Well, if you look at number nine, after they uploaded this new software, uh, all the images coming from all the cameras had this bizarre greenish tint. And it was so pronounced that even the squeaky clean mainstream folks who wouldn't know a Martian anomaly if it dipped them in the... Uh, Delicate part of their anatomy uh, were making comments like, Why are the images so green? Have they turned up the green channel? Did somebody forget to you know take the green lens cap off or you know, all kinds of you know how people are on the internet? but nobody had any excessive or 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 positive or declarative answers to suddenly all the imagery coming down from Mars looked. Bizarrely green, which of course uh, kind of resulted in my looking around and developing a comparison, which is item number ten. Click on number ten, you'll see the green image from uh, from Percy. This is a mass cam image, which is supposed to be pretty good resolution. Um, uh, you know, it's horrible colors. Everything is green. And then look at the one over on the right. In fact, it's probably better if you don't look at the close-up because it's very large. Um, What I did is I compared (laughs) it to um, a phenomenon on Earth which is well-known for those of us that are kind of uh, arcana uh, aficionados here in the Southwest. Back in the 1920s and 30s when telephone poles were being set up and telephone wires were being spread all over the country. Um, the uh, phone company would put the wires on glass insulators on their telephone poles. And over the decades, some of them are now like over a 100 and some years old, the exposure to the ultraviolet light sitting in the arid deserts of uh, New Mexico or Colorado or Arizona – would cause these color these original transparent glass insulators to turn interesting colors, mostly green or blue green, and it has to do with ultraviolet light impinging on metallic compounds in the glass because the glass is not pure it 's got metallic uh, uh, contaminants in it when they make you know glass um uh silicon dioxide it's got a lot more than just silicon and oxygen in the in the uh, in the sand and so the glass has these metallic contaminants and when they're exposed to ultraviolet light they create interesting colors over enough time and enough exposure so i began to wonder and that's what that comparison in number 10 is about i began to wonder was it possible that there was something in the sky that was deliberately, by means of a natural process, filtering the light coming from the sun that the revised computer program, um, which was not counteracting this natural background because it was supposed to be, you know, an updated real-time uh handling of the of the images coming from the cameras not pre-programmed from earth was it something having to do with the environment that the program that they had just sent to the spacecraft could not handle because if you did not anticipate then i started wondering well could that be connected with what i saw in the landing on number 11 go to my image number 11 in radio with Pictures. Because as the spacecraft came down, remember, it had all these cameras taking, you know, single shots as well as video. On the video, when they released it, you can clearly see this bright, what we call, sun glint of very pronounced specular reflection bouncing back from the surface of Mars as Percy was descending on its parachute before they... You know ignited the sky crane uh, retro rockets and lowered it to the surface and you can see that this glint moves across the surface geometrically uh, opposite the sun as the spacecraft is looking down and it doesn't seem to matter what topographic feature the the sunlight was reflecting from it was a bright very pronounced glint a, a rise in brightness as a kind of a halo. And I've seen this looking out the windows of aircraft flying over, over uh, clouds on earth. It's called a, um, uh halation and it's anti the sun. It's 180 degrees away from the sun. And it's caused by something which kicks the light back along the, the light ray rays coming from the sun. And we've never seen this on any other landing of any other spacecraft on Mars before. So then I started wondering, was it possible? Was it in fact possible? There was some kind of physical glass structure over Jezero, over the crater, a dome, a glass dome. And what had happened over extraordinary amounts of time a lot of it had been eroded and had fallen to the ground so that you were looking at the kickback of the, uh, uh, the, the the anti sun reflection back toward the Perseverance cameras. But when you're on the surface and looking at the landscape, if the cameras are not color corrected, if they're just looking at the landscape in the ambient light, coming from the sun if that light is coming through an ancient glass structure the remnants of an ancient dome an artificial construct over this 30 mile wide crater on mars could the same phenomenology that turns glass insulators greenish in the deserts here on earth that is unobstructed raw ultraviolet light, could it have interacted with such a dome on Mars over thousands or hundreds of thousands of years and created a greenish filter, which was filtering the light from the sun, so everything in the imagery from all the cameras had this bizarre greenish cast or tint, so much so that even the mainstream folks were commenting on Twitter and in these various uh, uh, you know, astronomical groups as to the bizarre greenish tints of all the images coming down from Mars. At which point, Andrew, I want to go to you because I think you may have something to add at this point to this interesting developing, remember, a year ago, Mystery.
4: Yes. Yes, here Sorry, just getting out of this. Um, uh, well, one question first, Richard. Um, was there any kind of corrections done to these images in 9 and 10? Or was it, has it kind of remained the same? Or was it a particular angle of the sun at the time?
0: No, no. Just, I, I just picked a random picture. It was all the images at whatever angle. Oh. Um, I, I picked one where the sun is kind of high so you can see the landscape. This is raw data. This has not been corrected. It's directly from the raw image site at JPL, and there's image after image after image there, and they all, after the program change, had this bizarre green tint. I
2: can back Richard up on that. There, uh, that's what the that's what the raw images look like, especially the uh, hazard cam and now cam images.
4: Yeah, it's very interesting because –
0: And remember, before they landed, they were carrying this computer uh, program which had been loaded on at Earth, which was different from the one they sent up to Percy after landing. And it was that program that gave us this stunning real color view of the Martian landscape from one of the hazard cams that later turned bright green. You know, Richard, they did have an explanation
2: or an excuse for that. Sorry, but they uh, uh, one of the NASA press conferences they mentioned that what they were that one thing they were correcting for was that the the color balancing software, which is part of the rover, uh, part of the camera stuff, I guess, uh, was calibrated on the basis of prior missions. They had established standards, figuring any pla any place on Mars on the surface that. You're going to have similar lighting conditions, I guess. And so that's what they were using, and it was faulty. It always had been. They didn't say that part, but, I mean, it was an attempt to correct that because these cameras are better than in the past and would show up the flaw. It's like the white balancing. You'll notice that none of the, hardly any of the pictures that you see coming out of Perseverance have that achingly bright white uh, stuff, maybe little spots of it. But they had trouble with that since Mars Global Surveyor. There's these white flashes on the images because something was so reflective, the albedo was so high that it uh, it would go beyond the capabilities of the camera.
0: <laughs> like it was polished aluminum.
2: <laughs> yeah, or yeah, or polished ceramic or something, just mm-hmm. that smooth and that bright. They obviously did not expect, since they weren't planning for artificiality, they didn't plan on some super high-tech uh Shiny ceramic surface or polished metal that would withstand the ages without uh, getting any much less shiny. So those things are all interrelated. But yeah, I think it was an attempt to correct that, or maybe decorrect it again. Something, you know. But it's uh, the secret's out, and I don't think they're going to care. I mean, it's a blue sky. Okay, get over (laughs) it, everybody.
0: Okay. So Andrew,
2: Andrew, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, Andrew.
4: No, 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 don't worry. Uh, Yeah, well, Richard, my sense when I first saw the video of this Perseverance coming down in its package was um, you know, the camera was looking down, like you said, across the the Martian surface. But it also initially before the parachute sort of shot up or as it was shooting up, whichever camera that sits on top was able to shoot – or maybe it's on the side of the –
0: Well, well, they actually had several cameras looking up, looking down. And they put together these video montages so yeah. you would actually, and then they had like quads. So one part of the screen was the camera mm. looking up. I, 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 I call them GoPros because they were basically off the shelf commercial cameras, slightly adapted, but they didn't spend a lot of money and they didn't expect them to really survive. And they all survived and they gave us amazing imagery and they would put them together in these, you know, produce little packages where you could look, on one part of the screen at the camera looking up and the other part of the screen is the camera looking down toward Mars simultaneously. So you got a real three-dimensional feel of as this thing was entering the atmosphere, popping the parachute at something like 1500 miles an hour. That's one hell of a parachute and then landing gently on the surface.
4: Yeah. And when I saw that parachute fly out and we should probably go to my, my item. So if you go to fast links and go to Andrew, um, uh, we just, just go to one, I, I'll go through this fairly quickly. Uh, Percy's parachute lighting effects. Um, yeah, I mean, as this thing is, is unloading, you know, you get the – I mean, obviously the, the camera is adjusting to reflections, and the sky is a little darker, and then – or sorry, the sky is a little lighter because, um, you know, outer space is not too far out. And then the parachute comes up, and there's a, some light color balancing going on. But the things that caught me were the way – or was the way the light was dappling on the parachute, and I just I thought, well, if this is a strong, you know, well, I mean the sun is further away, of course, it being Mars, but the way it was hitting the parachute, it was almost like in strips and pieces. So if you look at, I mean, I, again, Richard, maybe it's the flapping of, of the material; it's just catching the light here and there. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, in my image, like especially if, like number number two here on my images, there's just this weird dappling that's on the uh, parachute itself. And if you look at, I have two images. So in my number two, I have um, a a fairly large image of the parachute. And then to the right, I have um, a shot or like a screen capture from the top of the parachute, top right-hand corner, and then the bottom bottom right-hand corner. And what I see is Light reflecting all over this parachute from a different direction. Now, maybe I'm re- Richard. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. No, 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 no,
0: no. You're reading the geometry exactly right. Yeah. So you and, have. And cap- since Mars has no huge moon, or it's not orbited by a double sun, the sun in your number two is the left white arrow yes. pointing to that bluish, you know, splotch yes. of of light and color in the sky. Yeah. And then on the right of that composite, you can see the arrows of direction of light and it's coming from the opposite direction. The only possible way to explain that is an incredible reflection from the sun, which is on the left, bouncing off something on the right and coming back and illuminating the parachute from the right in an anti-sun direction. And the only possible thing that could be doing that is some physical, highly reflective, specular surface, i.e. a glass dome.
4: Yeah, and my whole sensibility – I mean remember, I'm – folks, I'm coming from this from an artistic position, so it's, it's – a lot of this is, a, is at a gut level in my instinct, but that's my job. I have to analyze
0: light. You form eat, and sleep, and breathe yeah. art 24-7. Yeah. And
4: I noticed these little nuances, you know, that just really baffle me because I'm going, that doesn't make it. Any... I mean, if you look at the, number three, that, that's an artist's conception of, uh, they did a little video, right, Richard, before yep, yep, um, yep. Perseverance got beautiful there. Beautiful
0: animations. And
4: beautiful. And they show the sun. It's very similar, actually, to the image, except the way that in this.
0: In this uh, one, the light is all coming from where it should be, which it, is the upper left.
4: Exactly, and there's a glow inside of the. Again, folks, you know this is a this is a, a computer program. Often, like what Tim Saunders uses, you know, to, like if if light is coming from this direction, there's going to be this kind of refraction or this kind of glow. Da I get it. I get it. And, and but what you mean? Mars has got like holes
3: in it as, it, as the ship comes through.
4: No, no, no. This is this is out of control. Let's come out of that one and go to my number um, two. So this is um, thank you, Keith, for for lighting for um, lighting this for naming it. He called it Percy's parachute light
2: source. Hey, Andrew, you know what the lighting reminds me of? The lighting what? in a forest. The lighting yes. in a forest.
4: Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. like if you're standing okay. in the trees and the, you know like whatever, whether it's deciduous or conifers, and you get like a midday sun then it just comes streaming through the the leaves and it hits the the forest floor, and you just see that beautiful dappling light. Or you look at the sun diffuse through those branches and those 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 leaves, and it has the same look. It's really – I don't know. I was really confused because if you go back and watch it, and people can go on YouTube and watch this. Just go look it up. It's changing. It's like dappling like crazy. It's so beautiful as it comes down. It's violent in the way it's flapping around, but it's, it's this beautiful – a kaleidoscope
3: of
0: well, this and, is uh, they they release the parachute at about fifteen hundred uh, miles per hour, seven miles, which is almost yeah, uh, uh, you know, seven miles, which is forty thousand feet, give or take, above the surface. So you're way high in the atmosphere. You're as high above Mars as commercial airliners fly above the Earth.
4: Yeah, it's, it's incredible and um another thing i noticed as the parachute was coming down further through uh the atmosphere the mars atmosphere if we go to my number 2 it's called percy's parachute light sources and we go to my number 1 enlarge it uh well it doesn't enlarge too big but i have um um well look at it it's a side by side picture what i did is i flipped it so camera a oh there it goes no i just had to update Uh, Must be a lot of people looking at this. Camera A, the sun is to the left, I'll read it out, of the frame. The right of frame behind the metal frame is brighter than the sky at the top of the frame. So I noticed that. Like, well, why is the sky brighter over to the right? Now, maybe that's a a thing in the camera, Richard. I I don't know cameras that well. Maybe there's some sort of balancing thing going on. No, 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 no. That's exactly. Now, if you go to the other camera, which is my camera B side, which is the reverse angle, I made an arrow. And I put B, and the reason why I put B is that what you see there on the rim of that parachute is what we call uh, like a reflected light. It's it's a, da- it's it's a dim it's a dimmed down reflect. So imagine maybe over to the left, if the sun was hitting a sort of a reflective surface, surface maybe not as maybe now because we're down lower, we're, we're suggesting down lower in this tube or this this concave shape that we're coming through we think now the sun is is a little more diffuse but it's bouncing off of this reflected surface and hitting the side of that the rim of that parachute you can just see that reflected light because again it's brighter on the left hand side it makes no sense because all the light should be coming from the right people have to see these images to understand am i I being clear richard i mean it's a diffuse light it literally looks like it's reflecting from the left and now we're seeing that
0: soft
4: off of something on our left. That's what it looks like to me. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does.
4: So what I did from there is if you scroll down, and I did an illustration. This is not a real photograph. So anybody looking on their phone goes, how did they get that? No, no. This is a, this is a drawing I did, a little uh, digital drawing to kind of – from my gut feeling and from the data you know, we were collecting here is what? kind of thing are we kind of seeing here you know if i was to imagine myself as the little uh parachute boy there or maybe i'm a piece of the bolt flying in the opposite direction and what i did richard is i i did this illustration with the sun up to the left and then the sky is darkened to the right and i put a dappling effect through the uh through my textures and this is what i'm seeing it as is these layers of something you know we're calling it glass it's some sort of reflective
0: well, what Material. else could it be? It can't be clouds. Uh, yeah. Exactly. All right. So
4: that's how that's how I I um, kind of interpreted it, and I and then I um, we can go to my number three because this this does relate. So if you come out of that, go to my number three. This one I called um, Percy's par- parachute lighting effect. So this kind of correlates with one of Richard's images, I believe, um, which he might want to show. But again, I did like a my my interpretation of a wider view. Of what this thing, again, an artist's representation of what this thing might look like as it was shooting down through this opening and having all these lighting effects bouncing off the side of the thing and, and literally bouncing off of the, the parachute, which is the most obvious material that we could see because the cameras are fixed right on it. So yeah, Richard, that was sort of my interpretation from a year ago and it's actually nice to see this again. Thank you for getting me to dig these up because it really refreshes the memory and I think we're we're moving through something. My whole gut feeling, and I remember I was sharing this with Ron. Is Ron, why do I get the feel I'm on, I'm on a wild ride through a like a big tube, a giant, massive, wide tube, and I'm going. And he said the same thing. He goes, Yeah, it's almost like we're just shooting down through with our shoot, if you, if you know what I mean. It's a very odd feeling. So yeah, that's um, okay. Like how,
0: well, that's let, let, let us let's go back to uh, my items. So you click on fast links to Richard item number 12. Uh, Number 11 was the sun glint as they were coming down, you know, the GoPro cameras. And when you actually look at the video on the NASA website, this is very obvious because the glint moves across the landscape uh, in terms of parallax as the spacecraft is descending on the parachute. And it's obviously that everything down there. If you get within that narrow angle of retroreflection, it's like one of those um uh, movie screens you know with the with the three m glass beads my My grandfather used to have one of these for at home for projecting slides because normal screens are like what they call a lambert surface, which is basically flat white paint and sometime in the nineteen fifties or sixties uh the three m company decided to put little glass beads in the paint. And what that did was, if you stood within a narrow cone of the projector, the, the the slide or the image on the screen was like, it could be 10 times brighter than if you stood off to the side. So it had a very sharp beaming retroreflection angle. Well, the surface of Mars is acting, as you can see from the video from Percy as it was descending, Like an old 3M beaded screen, which is, of course, nuts, unless, here is the model, we're looking at the eon-long degraded rain of glass shards and fragments on the ground from the dome in this model, which has been deteriorating over tens or hundreds of thousands of years. So there's a break time. there's some of it left, and then there's a lot of it which is not left, and it's that which we're seeing on the ground. So um, this is this is getting very very curious, very curious indeed. So we will return to this in the uh, next couple of minutes. How do you have a 3m projection screen affect on a ground which is composed of dirt and sand and dust. Where does the active light reflecting internal total internal reflection aspect of such a surface come from? Well, we have some answers. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland and the answers when we return. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night. No, it's not Sunday. It's Saturday. Ah, I'm skipping ahead. Too much to do in the next week, and I'm already anticipating Saturday night here on the other side of midnight from the land of enchantment. There's a gorgeous moon out there if you're uh, where it's clear. My guests this morning are Ron Gerbran and Andrew Curry, and we're discussing the last year of stunning anomalies. That the perseverance rover has found on mars beginning with the accumulating evidence that there is this incredibly ancient highly eroded glass dome over jezero crater perseverance rover photographed both on the way down and from on the surface inside now there are some of you that are going to say come on how can you go through a damn glass dome and not smash the spacecraft to smithereens? And that's the uh, naive question for those that don't understand the kind of erosion that such a megalithic structure over so much time, so many long thousands upon thousands of years would undergrow so that the actual density per unit volume ultimately would be very, very small And the spacecraft would smash through it because it's basically like spiderweb at that point. It's not solid panes. The only reason that it's optically um, interacting with the cameras and visible is because there is so much of it, miles upon miles of optical path length to where reflections can accumulate and add, which is why you get the bizarre lighting effects above the surface on the way down illuminating the parachute with bright reflections in the anti-sun position because over long miles of optical path length even a thin transparent vestige of its former self would be optically active and perceivable Okay, so let's return to what I wanted to do, which is this. Let's go back to the other side of midnight and click on item number seven. This is um, an actual audio file that NASA relieved on uh, March 17th, which is about a month after the rover landed. What they did is they, they have microphones on Perseverance. Uh, which we're supposed to pick up, among other things, the sound of various instruments, the sound of wind. We'll get to that in a minute. As well as the sound of of the actual driving of the Perseverance rover on its six uh, aluminum wheels over the surface of the Red Planet. So let's take a listen to what this first recording of the sound of perseverance rolling over the Martian landscape sounded like. This is the background electronics. It's moving. Now it stops. It's moving again. You notice that weird scratching noise? The bangs and clunks are from the suspension system. The whine is from the electronics. Scratching is the sound of the wheels in contact with the surface of Mars. The clanks and bangs are from the suspension. Okay, so that's what Mars sounds like if you're on the Perseverance rover for the microphone driving on the six aluminum wheels across the surface. Very, very bizarre. In fact, it was so bizarre that it sounded to me like it was driving over something that was totally anomalous, like it was driving over pulverized shards of glass because glass has a certain kind of resonant characteristic unlike rock unlike sedimentary rock or you know silts or sands or whatever it has this very peculiar hard um, echoing resonant uh, uh, substructure it's 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 uh, it's very very unique in terms of sound so one of our um, uh, audience Leslie Roger took my challenge. I said, can anybody out there duplicate this sound? And I gave them instructions. I said, what we want to do is to record something rolling over glass shards and then tape it and send it to us and we'll play the comparison. Well, this is what Leslie created in, I think, her kitchen uh, with a glass cutter um, and a microphone and a recorder and a, uh, a, a, a chunk of glass as she shredded it with the glass cutter. Listen. And to me, they're incredibly similar, which brings us now to item number 14. This is a close up of a portion of the frame. The actual frame number is there in the caption, uh, which is just uh, above and to the left of one of Ron's frames uh, where he's comparing a a weird object on the left with the uh, mystery object that may have fallen off Perseverance on the right. In fact, I can go and I can tell you what number that is because all I have to do is go to Ron's items and I think it's number six. I think, yeah, it's number six. This close-up image I'm going to talk about is to the upper left of the object in the left-hand frame of Ron's number six. Okay, so go back to my items, click on Richard, and that will take you down to number 14. And um, this is now a close up. Click on it. And if you click on it and look at it, this is a close up of an average piece of Martian ground in Jezero crater, just just the sand, just the surface. And what you notice, what I noticed immediately when I worked through this image and digital processing is there is a stunning array of multicolored, brilliant highlights emanating from this patch of Martian real estate all over. It looks like Percy landed amidst the gems and rubies of Omer Khayyam, some ancient treasure, some King's treasury, some incredible accumulation of rubies and garnets and, and diamonds and, uh, Uh, all kinds of other precious gems which of course don't exist on mars let's stop that there are no huge treasures of ancient gems scattered across the martian surface so what could we be seeing well it's obvious that what we're seeing are spectral glints from glass-like material in fine fragments scattered all over the surface and the rocks and the debris and the reddish sands between the things sticking up to where <clears throat> if you look down if you were standing there at your feet there would be this amazing panoply of multicolored rainbow colors sparkling and scintillating and corrugating From the ground, you can find deep reds and deep blues and brilliant greens and yellows. And because this is a still photo, you can't tell that if you moved just a bit to the left or right or up or down, all those colors would shift radically. And a whole new bunch of brilliant multicolored gems on the ground would spring to life. And they're not gems at all. What this is, is visual proof with a close-up from the mass cam imaging uh, camera on the uh, Perseverance rover of the fact that the, the sand, the surface on Jezero crater is filled with little specks of glass that are prismatically refracting and reflecting sunlight in a coruscating cascade of multiple spectral colors that would change as you change your angle just a little bit. The colors would shift. There would be new color centers, new brilliant reflections, new brilliant refractions. Nothing like this is visible anywhere naturally on Earth. But in fact, it's exactly... What you would predict if Perseverance is rolling across a landscape which is dappled with umpteen shards of shattered glass dome structure from high above the Jezero crater, now littering the landscape which Perseverance is both seeing with its cameras and detecting with its microphone, Literally listening to the wheels rolling across shredded, powdered glass on the surface of the planet. Guys, what do you think?
2: Color from the, that the Watson camera gives. You know, the Watson camera is the most honest one apparently, or the one we that's least controversial in its color balance. And uh, my number eight which is, uh, at the end of my stuff, is just a look down from their close-up camera, the Watson camera, on the ground. And if you click on it, you'll get the big version, which is really big. And I hope you have better than a small phone screen to look at it on. And you can see just what Richard's talking about, because that's another spot. And that's specifically what they did. They took a close-up picture of the ground, probably to try and figure out what it is they're rolling over. Wow. You know,
4: Richard... You know what this reminds me of? No. When I was a kid, well, being around here on the west coast of um, Canada, you know, we're just above Seattle, and then go further down, and you'll hit all the various states all the way to California. But our coastline tends to be, you know, pretty rocky. Uh, lots of pebbles, lots of you know coarse sand. And as a kid, I used to you know um, you know you're fiddling around on the shore shoreline, and you'd find these tiny pieces of multicolored glass from well, basically people were out on their boats and they're drinking and they throw it over, or or it's stuff on the beaches that and over time it's all worn down, all the sharp edge, most of the sharp edges are gone, but they just sparkle along with the rocks. It kind of has that sort of feel. I mean obviously much more um, varied than that but it reminds me of that
0: so the other cool. explanation is the martians the ancient martians had lots and lots and lots of tailgate parties in jesuit <laughs> <laughs>
2: i i just remembered something they remember they used to talk at nasa about uh geodes when they were talking about the when they were speculating on the geology there
0: Yeah, they've
2: had a couple of things like they broke a hollow rock, you know, and they said, you know, and they tried to call it a geode. Uh, Yeah, I don't think that's what those were. I think they were they were working on, you know, alternate explanations for the inevitability that people are going to notice the glass all over the place. And I have to shoehorn in here that my friend that I got that I got the odd reaction from about that mystery picture. Uh, He's he's an engineer. He's not—he's not somebody that wears dark sunglasses and assassinates people in parking lots. He's, uh, <laughs> um, but he's in the aerospace business. But he knows people that know people. I do know some of those people with the dark sunglasses, and you better not meet them. them. But uh, no, he's just uh, so it was a, it was a scientific thing from a very conservative engineer type and uh but he, i was i still wonder why he was so uh taken by that picture anyway okay
0: enough go back sorry well maybe he recognizes what the object is and you know it's like either nasa made a huge you know hoopah by dropping something mm-hmm. from the rover that's not supposed to be you know released and then not talking yeah. about it or maybe he oh he got sample retainer
2: yeah he what oh. He guessed sample container himself, oh. but he didn't know.
0: But see, again, if that happened, NASA should, should talk about it because they talk about everything. I mean, remember when during the Curiosity of mission, course. they saw these little bits of white stuff, and they spent like a week talking about how it was plastic from something on the rover? I mean, it's like they had nothing better to talk about, so they talked about the the weird artificial-looking anomaly, and they traced it back to the rover. Well. This thing is a huge honking thing, obviously very geometric, obviously metal, obviously machine formed, obviously artificial, made by a high-tech civilization. And if it's part of Percy and it fell off, by not talking about it, it's like, do they think that it's going to go away? The Twitter won't say, what the hell is that? Uh, Uh, Yeah.
4: how, How long has it been in the archives?
0: A couple of days. A couple of days.
4: A couple of days. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I gra- I grabbed it like three hours after they took the picture on Mars, <laughs> as I remember, three or four hours. Like I said, they put the stuff up immediately. That's why I think it's actually possible that it just slipped slipped by. You know, nobody was watching that day or that or, uh, that hour.
4: Or or Ron. I mean, um, yeah. We've talked about how these images that. Percy takes are so beautifully, like many of them are so beautifully composed. I mean, they look like, you know, the old um, Time magazine year-end, you know, like the table, what is it called? Coffee table books mm-hmm. that you would just put there to show off to your neighbors or your friends or whatever. And, you know, you'd open it up and there's these big, giant, glossy images. So of- they
0: had their AI read a lot of art books before they sent it to Mars.
4: <laughs> well, it, it, absolutely. It, it looks a lot like composed. Uh, curated, well, Richard, you know all about this um, museum-like yeah, shop.
2: Yeah, it really does. Oh, but,
4: but by the way, I wanted to add. One
2: curated thing. is probably a good term. That's uh, because yes, it does.
0: They look like, uh, well, they look, to look to like they're posed. They're composed. You know, there's a difference between yeah, amateurs. photography. Am, amateurs mm-hmm. take pictures. Professionals take great pictures. And the well, secret, by the way, is taking lots of pictures.
4: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're
0: right about that. Yeah, and but in this case, they're taking multiples. Oh, know, they're, they're taking multiples. Your, multiples. are getting, yes. Okay. Well, you. Doing, so let's move on. My item number 15, in, 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 in the midst of this weirdness, you know, the sun glint when they're descending, the bizarre stuff around the parachute opening, the light where light should not be coming from, um, the weird sounds that Leslie really reproduced, you know, with a glass cutter on glass, Um, You know, I mean, the way science works for folks that haven't paid attention to process of how scientists ultimately make, you know, some kind of certain pronouncements is you put together a variety of lines of evidence. And if they all kind of give you the same essential answer, then you can kind of say, okay, this is potentially the answer. So we're looking at different lines of evidence accumulated by the rover in the last year and a half, a year rather, on Mars. And one of the most weird things that happened early on is that unlike any other mission that NASA sent to Mars, the Spirit rovers, the Curiosity rover, suddenly out of the blue, pun intended, they began taking a whole bunch of pictures with a number of their cameras of the sky. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pictures of the sky. Now, to see why this is weird, take a look at number 15. I have a before shot. This is a mass cam image taken of the sky. And you can see at the color image, it's kind of like a very faded, faded, pale, pale yellow cream color um, wash, like a foggy. There's no deter- discernible detail. It's just like a faded, basically a very pale yellow bed sheet. Okay? The right-hand section of 15 is what happens when you do what I did, which is you put through it, you put it through a careful enhancement and color balancing algorithm. And when you put the two side by side, you can see if you – click on it, it gets very large, that whereas the left hand before shot, where it's just the raw image, again, in the raw image file on the official NASA JPL website from Perseverance, downloaded by an AI all the way along from the rover on Mars to the DSN to the computers at JPL to the websites to your home computer. Look, Ma, no hands, all done with a robot. The one on the right is what is actually present in this image, and there is stunning geometry. There's stunning shaded color, and it looks like they're looking up near the very top at the apex of a multicolored refractive rainbow-like uh, color progression from what would be an internally structured, geometrically coherent glass dome over Jezero and they took ultimately now a year after the landing they've taken literally every few weeks thousands upon thousands of images of basically blank yellow bed sheets over the rover and it's like what because they've never done that except they started doing something similar A few weeks after they did these shots with Curiosity, and they claimed they were looking for clouds. Well, under the normal Martian conditions, the environment that NASA's given us, clouds are kind of like the last thing you'll see in the Martian sky because it's so damn thin. At least that's what they tell us. But when they showed us those clouds from Curiosity, Andrew, what did you notice immediately completely separate from my noticing
4: uh oh I'm, i can't remember richard
0: they were heavy clouds that you'd find in oh. the lower atmosphere of yeah, planet earth
4: yeah. yeah there's actually an article that came out yesterday um uh in the daily mail and oh it says nas yeah nasa's curiosity rover captures stunning footage of the martian sky with clouds of carbon dioxide ice passing by overhead and it's stunning richard there's a video well i guess it's a collection of images that they've you know tacked together to give it like the animated look but it's absolutely beautiful people should look it up i i put it in the chat box well,
0: that's what film and video is it's a series of still images come on folks.
4: yeah and you know what else really, is really well <laughs> richard you know what else is really interesting is they're talking about well if it's carbon dioxide then there's a you know are we talking about things coming up that are below the Martian? i mean they are really paving the way big time for x marks the spot which i wanted to say that about that little piece sitting on the martian surface like this you know like we i not facetiously but i you know it just added that um truman show reference because it is sitting out there like a x marks the spot moment and i i mean i don't know what X, it's, it's marking, if it is marking an X, but, it's, it, but there's this weird, you know, breadcrumb trail follow us kind of feeling to well, that. And what's
0: I, so weird about this is that we know from terrestrial experience and we know from decades of looking at the Martian atmosphere with a variety of NASA spacecraft, Indian spacecraft, Japanese spacecraft, etc., that the clouds that are at high altitude are like cirrus ice clouds over Earth. They're thin, they're gauzy, they have a particular geometry, they're unmistakable as high-altitude clouds of frozen ice crystals on Earth. It's water ice. On Mars, it's both water ice and CO2. But they don't look like the clouds in the Curiosity images, because they look like heavy, low-altitude, cumulonimbus, thunderstorm-type clouds. And they obviously they really did. don't think that anybody in the audience has ever watched a meteorological guy on the television. Yes, Ron. I think they.
2: I think they enhanced their pictures. I've looked at that little uh, video clip that you're talking about many times, and I, I. I think they reinforced, multiplied. Depends on what your program is, you know, the, what they call it. But I, I, yeah, I think that I think they bumped up the. Um, Contrasts and the saturation on those on the original yeah. images to make it more dramatic
0: Yeah, not, and Ron. That's not really yeah, but you can't you can't bump up the geometry it's not the density no, no, it's the no, geometry no. Exactly. Of, the, of the of the clouds that are so bizarre hey we're coming uh up to the top of the hour here at the uh, other side of midnight, so everybody hold it. I want to come back to Andrew because I want you to talk about the domes and all the other geometry that we found and you sketched and you looked at and we'll do that and then we're going to go back to ron and talk about more surface details this is kind of trying to sum up in three hours 300 plus days of life on mars lived vicariously through nasa's latest amazing perseverance rover you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland We shall return. Welcome back folks. It is now officially Saturday night, Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment. I knew it would come to us eventually if we were patient and we waited and we have. So we're talking about the last year plus one day of perseverance on Mars and we're focusing on the most extraordinary anomalous things that is discovered through a variety of evidence from the optical evidence the geometric evidence, the sound evidence of rolling across the surface, the spectacular prismatic glass beads that should not exist in a normal Martian soil, unless, as I said, the Martians are having really wild and frenetic tailgate parties for thousands and thousands of years on the lake bottoms of the ancient Jezero Lake that now is Jezero Crater. Some 30 miles across on Mars so let's uh, go back to some evidence okay um, let me do a couple things here and that okay um, I want to go to you Andrew because you've been kind of focused on the geometry and the construction techniques and the light properties of this potential hypothetical Jezero dome and you uh, you found some interesting things so Take it away.
4: Yeah. Are you talking about my bubbles on the ceiling?
0: Yeah, among among other things. Yes, yes.
4: Okay. Well, let's go there because I don't think I ever got a chance to share this, Richard. I think we – anyhow, let's do it now. So on the Fast Links under Andrew's Items, if you go to my number nine, and it's called Bubbles on the Ceiling.
0: Why do I keep thinking of Lily Tomlin every time you say that? (laughs) Number nine? Number nine? (laughs) Number nine? or the beatles <laughs> that's true yeah yeah okay all right so now, Richard, number nine number nine
4: yeah you you want to describe what this is for the audience the number so and number nine it says bubbles on the ceiling and it's my number one if you enlarge it well
0: after after perseverance started taking frenetic images mosaics of the whole damn sky over and over and over again every time the rover would move to a new location they would take more images of the sky and they kept saying, oh, we're looking for clouds. No, they weren't. There are no clouds because if you put the mosaics together, like we did, like I did and Bob um, uh, Harrison did, who unfortunately could not be with us tonight, we independently came up with the same amazing geometry, which knows the horizons, knows where North is, it's a static geometry over the whole damn dome. It's offset uh, because the rover did not land in the middle of Jezero. It landed close to the western edge of the crater. So geometrically, the geometry is shifted the way it would be if the geometry was symmetrical over the crater, but you were looking at it kind of from the side because you're much closer to one edge, etc., etc., cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. And then in one of the mosaics taken kind of like at high noon, so the light is coming directly down from the zenith at this uh, 18-degree north latitude and change, which is where Perseverance is in terms of uh, latitude and longitude on the surface of Mars, we got this image, this mosaic, which has all kinds of detail, all kinds of geometric structure, it has symmetry. It's obviously not dependent on the sun. It's dependent on geometry of something interacting in a weird prismatic carusicating way with sunlight coming down from the zenith. And then it had the bubbles. Take yeah. it away, Andrew, on the bubbles. <laughs> Thanks for sure.
4: Yeah, so what folks? What Richard asked me to do is, he said, "Are you noticing this?" And I said, "Yeah, they look like bubbles." And he says, "Yeah." And what I did, and he said, "Can you bring this out, you know, artistically, like to see it?" And so I did. I enlarged these things. And if you go to my um, number two, so there's two on the big image, and I put a little box around this thing. And then I, if you scroll down, what I'm seeing is this is number
0: nine, but it's the second image on the number nine um poster that you created
4: yeah that's correct and i did a little artistic piece to the right side and i'm telling you richard the striations of color behind this bubble are there they are consistent they run up and through the or sorry behind this well i think it's behind this thing and um i tried to bring that out you know with with my my illustrating if we scroll down a little bit you go to number three which corresponds to again richard's larger
0: image still on the um, same poster
4: on the same poster and again if when i look really closely i guess it's pixelated you know this is because we're blowing this stuff up but again i'm seeing behind or through whatever this ovally shaped thing it's is a
0: refractive bubble yeah. They're like lenses suspended in three-dimensional space above the rover somehow on Mars, and none of this should be going on. None of it should be possible. You shouldn't be able to photograph something that's obviously three-dimensional, that's transparent, and acts exactly, by the way, like water droplets in the space station when the astronauts play with water. When we first presented this on an early show last year, I actually had one of the astronaut comparisons to to water bubbles because water glass whatever refraction is refraction so the yeah. same laws of optics obtain and and you can see internal refractions and reflections if these are real three-dimensional glass bubbles somehow anchored in the in the space above the rover which is impossible unless somebody yeah. built something and the remnants are still there, and Percy began photographing again and again and again the sky for some damn reason. It's like JPL, hi guys, were listening to each show, and they would take their cue for what to do with the cameras from what we did the previous week.
3: Yeah.
4: Well, Richard, I wanted, one of the bubbles I didn't have time to do because I was rushing <laughs> at the time to do it for the show, if people scroll back up again, on post, my Poster 9, to number 1. And if you go to the lower left quadrant...
0: And you can you click on this, and it gets significantly bigger.
4: Yeah. So between 2 and 3, right in the middle, is one of these reflective
0: bubbles with a shadow. Oh, my God, it's got a shadow. It's unbelievable. Oh, look it's, at that. It's a shadow projected on the surviving glass of the dome... And it's aimed straight to where the sun is, which is the bright little spot above the crosshairs. Yeah. Not so the I ring. Not the ring. That's the that's some kind of a hole in the yeah. apex of the dome. That's right. Um the sun is the bright circle below the ring above the center of the crosshairs.
4: Yeah. And if people
0: you know, Look you at can download
4: that. Yeah, download this poster, pull it off. Blow it up, and you'll find even more incredible, as Richard said, refractions, reflections, just bouncing around. So what I did from there is Richard and I started to brainstorm, and Richard said, are they – well, what did you say? Are they, Not balconies. Are they um, – what did you say, Richard? Perches, like little perches. And so I, I, we just, again, brainstorming, throwing out ideas. So if you go to my number 10 – called a wider view my poster number 10 zoom in on that here on earth you can see examples of what humans do we love height we love
0: we love views
4: we love
3: views
0: remember new york the most expensive real estate in trump tower is the highest because you have a view of central park you got a view of the rivers you know the hudson river the east river views people pay millions of dollars what was that famous soccer player who paid $18 million for a view from Trump Tower, and he just sold it for nine. <laughs> anyway, the point is, humans will go to great lengths to create or inhabit or build where there's a view.
4: Yeah, so if you scroll through this, there's the Grand Canyon Skywalk, and there's this lovely woman walking on the glass, and you can see this, well, that beautiful Grand Canyon below and all all, all sides of her, uh, the number two on poster, ten is a, a – suspended by a big crane, a restaurant, and people oh are literally – Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean they're strapped into their chairs, but they're literally – and they're you – know, and there's – I suspect it's a glass covering because it looks like glass, and there they are perched up on – I don't remember what city this is. Somebody will probably tell me. I think – I know it's in the United States somewhere. And then you go to number three. And this was London's floating pool. So this is in London, UK, and it's a pool. It looks like some sort of clear ceramic that goes between two buildings, and people are swimming in it. So you can see the people walking below you. And so these were just terrestrial examples, Richard, that I grabbed that I thought, hey, this would give us a chance to think about if this is a dome or if this was a dome or if it still is, and these are these bubbly shapes, if they are enclosures, people would have been able to be up there and enjoy the view, literally, of seeing this incredible. How big is it again, Richard? Was it twelve?
0: It, how, 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 it's thirty miles. It was twenty-eight miles wide. Wide, okay. And it's not a bubble. It's not like a. the, the, the no, 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 Tim did a reconstruction. Tim uh, um, uh, Saunders did a reconstruction. It's a shallow conic. Yes. Uh, in other words, it, it's not. It's not the uh, half of twenty-eight. It's not. 14, 15 miles high, it's probably seven or so, which is why as Percy was falling through it on the parachute, you can see it around you, but though above you is space. So you're actually at the seven mile altitude, you're kind of suspended. Um, I'm thinking of that old song about New York city. Um, you're, You're suspended halfway between the surface and outer space but you're at the upper level of the dome.
4: Yeah, and at that, and any, you know, a couple miles up, it would be an amazing panorama view
0: of your world that you, you know. Okay, let me limited. let me let me point out something else. Mm. If the dome itself is really battered and eroded, and incredibly in in moth-eaten tatters because of erosion and sandstorms, just plain ordinary sandstorms, okay. If these are, are balconies or bubbles for viewing that were suspended significantly below the apex, they have umpteen miles of glass above them to protect them from the elements. So these objects should be pretty new compared to the ancient dome above them because they've been protected, like, like you know stuff in a building protected from the outside elements. So that's, I think, why they look to be in very good shape as opposed to the background geometry, which is shredded to hell in many areas if you look in the uh, detailed mosaics.
4: Yeah, uh, good point, Richard. But yeah, I, that's the one I would, really wanted to draw attention
0: to. So
4: um, did you want to move on to Ron? I, I, I was so curious about Ron's the image that he had. Of, uh, he had this really beautiful panorama.
0: Okay, what I want to do is make a transition now to the surface because again what we're doing is we're adding up all of these anomalous separate lines of evidence <clears throat> which are converging on one answer which is we're looking at a dome and the and the uh, remnants you know the kind of different aspects of a dome as it's collapsing as it's eroding as it's abrading okay so let's go to number uh 16 which is an amazing image this is perhaps uh besides the sun glint the most amazing image because um about a month after they landed they unlimbered ingenuity the helicopter and that's a whole other set of shows because it's still flying it just had its 19th flight and their original game plan was uh five flights spaced over about a month and then they would call it quits and we can argue why it's still going strong my bet is because the atmosphere of mars is so much thicker go back to my images one and two it's much denser it's much easier to fly in a dense atmosphere so the wear and tear on little ingenuity is much less than they had calculated and they're using it now as a scout they're sending it in front of the rover, they're taking aerial photographs, they're doing stereo, they're doing mapping. Well, um, for Flight 11, um, many, many months ago, they landed uh, on Flight 10, and then they took off on Flight 11. And if you look at that picture, the whirly bird object in the lower left is the shadow, because they do the flights around noon, so the sun is directly overhead. They, the, the shadow of ingenuity taken from the color camera, which is looking about 22 degrees down from the horizontal to the right of the shadow. There is this weird light colored X. Do you see it? Okay. What in the world is that? Well, that's where the Rover uh, had parked ingenuity between flight 10 and 11. So it landed there on flight 10, at the end of flight 10, and then it sat there for probably a week or two. I forget the actual elapsed time with the rotors extended like they do in that X formation. And then it took off. And when it took off, underneath in the sands of Mars, there was this negative photographic Impression, like a like a photographic negative in a dark room, where light is dark and dark is light. In other words, where the dark areas are is where sunlight was hitting the surface. Where the light X is is where the shadow of the rotors of ingenuity prevented light coming down from the sky from directly impinging on the surface uh, about a foot foot and a half above the surface. So it's collimated light coming from the sun, 100 and some million miles away. And at high noon, it created, when it took off, it left behind this light X in the sands, which frankly is impossible to explain in any other way than whatever the material that ingenuity was sitting upon was photochromic. It was interactive with The light. Now, one of my proposals for this dome is this dome over Jezero had several major functions to perform. Not the least of which was it probably was photochromic, meaning it would filter out bad rays of light from the sun, like ultraviolet. And you could tailor the wavelengths of light reaching the ground inside the dome by making the material of the glass doping it with various metals and compounds, running electric current through it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and creating a photoactive material. And when you abrade it, when you grind it up, when you destroy it through erosion, the the, the shards of glass, the trillions of little fragments that, in close up, produce the multicolored spectral rainbows of caruscating white, they actually are also interacting with the sunlight and produced, in this case, a photographic negative version of the rotors on Ingenuity as it sat there for weeks, not moving, for like a week or two before flight number 11. And there's no natural model that one can evoke to explain photochromic glass found on the surface of Mars, other than it's part of some kind of ancient artificial edifice.
4: Richard, um, I don't know—is Ron still there?
2: Yes. I think he is. He's just um, muted at this point. I—I I, I mean, these. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm muted. Dario, I'm still here. Ron, go. You. Yeah, I was kind of quiet. Oh no, no, no. It was. Uh, no, the photochromic part. That's like sunglasses, the uh, kind that change for the uh, time of day. The ones that don't work inside a car because there's already UV filtering in the windshield. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, everybody's familiar with those. That's in case
0: now, the thing that was so that. frustrating is, you know, we point all this out. I would have expected the rover to go trundling over and do some sampling and put the material from the X into the, one of those core tubes to save it for returning it to Earth. As far Absolutely. As, as far as we know, NASA never sampled this material at all. At all. At the
2: very least, take another look at the area and see if it's faded, because if it's well, yeah. photometric, it could
0: probably. Yeah. It Once you remove the shadow, it should fade to background over time. They so, did. Richard, is that, yeah, but,
4: is uh, that just a lack of imagination, or is it is it deliberate?
0: Well, we don't know everything they're doing because they're not giving us all their pictures, so we have no idea if they surreptitiously trundled over there, did the sampling, took the photographs, did spectral analysis, did all kinds of analytical things we haven't told us. Mm, I wonder how much they're hiding because they
2: don't go dark. I mean, there are periods of time for uh astronomical reasons when the the rovers go dark you know they're it's on the far side of the sun or um
0: yeah but there's uh, a whole a nighttime storm. you could go over there light it up with the leds take samples and it would be off the duty cycle and the press would never know they had function remember they're nuclear powered they're not dependent That's on true. sunlight okay this That's is my true. segue to surfaces on mars and ron's wonderfully illustrative package of close-up of the surface of Jezero Crater from Perseverance. So, Ron, take it right. away.
2: Okay. Well, I will start with number one, which people can peruse at their leisure, because that's just a link to the official um, NASA uh, interactive map. Their, the base map is actually taken by uh, the Mars Express, by the Europeans. But, the uh, yeah, you can zoom in on there. You can see where it is. But if you look on that, Uh, You can see where it is now. You know, one of the blue balloons there on that screen grab uh, is a location
0: uh, of where it is. It's the top one on the right. Yeah, and it's
2: been – when you do zoom in, you'll see that those two tracks are – well, it's actually doubling back in a slightly different uh, route than it took coming down, which is good. To the east of its
0: original south track, they're now going north. They're eventually going to go north all the way to the uh, what they call the Delta which is visible as kind of low mountain looking things on the horizon to the north of the uh, of the rover but they're not paralleling right. uh, their track before they're they're moving to the east of it
2: uh, right well if you just look just to the right of the track of where it is right now and I'm not sure whether that's the current one that shows on the screen grab or not but you'll get it on the map and uh, you would see the uh, location of the next picture that I'm going to show you. Oh, you right mean that kind right of, of
0: corrugated, hatch, darker area? To yeah, the, that has to be it. To the right, yeah, to the right of, of the blue balloon showing the current location of the rover.
2: All right. Yeah. So now we go down to number four, which is a brand-new image. It's just a couple of days old. You can see uh, it's the first – well, the first thing in an image tag coming out of Perseverance, which really ticks me off, is they have to put Mars underscore Perseverance <laughs> at the beginning of every number, as if they weren't long enough. said, so, oh, no, we can fit up the 28 characters. Let's use them all. Uh, that's ridiculous. So I always trim that off, but I forgot on this one. So, uh, But anyway, right after the ZRO, which tells you it's a mass camp, uh, that next set of numbers is the Sol. They at least gave us that. You could ignore the rest of them because I don't know what they mean either. Uh, but it's, so that's just a couple days ago. Anyway, as uh, Andrew pointed out, it's a beautifully composed view across a lot of landscape, which obviously they're going to have to travel very carefully because the stuff right in front of the camera is uh, – even that rover can't make it over top of it. Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. But, wait, wait. Um, they're not – no, no, no. This is to the east. They're moving to the left in the picture. The camera is simply looking sideways. They're not going to go through any of that.
2: Yeah, right, absolutely not. But it's still a lovely picture, and if you if you zoom in and look at the larger version, you'll see exactly how interesting it is because there's ruins, my favorite thing, visible in the near distance, and lots of them. Uh, they're not a lot to them, but there's. Uh, I should have included the close-up, but there were enough pictures to go through already.
4: Ron, Ron.
2: Yes. Can I cut it yeah, in, Andrew.
4: Whoa! You sound, like a you sound like a Dalek right there. <laughs> yes. um. oh.
0: Revealing this your is. true colors, okay, Mister Terry? <laughs> yeah. All these yeah. years, all right. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yes, I am Doctor Who. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, yeah. Uh, Ron, this is to me
2: this Ter- is Exterminate! Exterminate, <laughs> exterminate! I'm sorry. Yeah.
4: <laughs> you had to go there. Um, this is stunning. Yeah. I, I really hope people look at this, Richard. This is. There is a literally a dome in the the middle, like middle far distance before that mountain, Mm -hmm. that mountain ridge, and it looks to me like there's. I mean, I know it's a long way off, but it's sculpted, and there's that whole sort of middle background has such an elegant pacing about it. You could almost imagine you've got a little dune buggy and you could just go through all these little avenues and channels. I just, Ron, I think it's a stunning image. I wanted to say one one more thing and then I'll back off, is that these rocks, these sort of twisted and sort of melted almost like black rocks,
2: remind me so much of what we see in Antarctica.
4: I just wonder if there's a correlation.
2: Hmm. Oh, there has to be. Yeah, there has to be. the, uh, yeah, well, wait until you see the close-ups from there. Tease. I wasn't even going to include that image for tonight, and I thought, oh, we should. Okay, three Especially, minutes uh, to the bottom yeah. of the hour. Okay, well, I can cover this. Number five is the, on the left is something from one of, something that's been posted before, and I'm always suspicious of things that look like, uh, cartoony faces. You know, just zoom in on the top of that pointy thing. And you'll see an eye at a, an extreme angle with a very vertical pupil. And there's, then you can see the nose and the mouth. And as proof that was some local deity, I would say, I mean, if it was some living ruler, they wouldn't want their depiction to be like that. So it's, it, and it doesn't look Egyptian or any of those other things we're used to. It looks more Celtic or African or uh, South Pacific, you know, the rougher artwork. Just as artistic, but you know rough a rougher depiction, so I, I think that yeah, adds to the I, story I, of maybe what
0: I, I have to say that you know I mean, I see at the bottom end of your elongated uh, object on the left, I see a clear bilaterally symmetric face, but I see it embedded in a geometric matrix, and frankly, I'm more impressed with the matrix than I am with the face. It's like the matrix says clearly artificial. The face is kind of, you know, icing on the cake.
2: Yeah, well, the crooked face,
0: since it's the
2: same crooked face or another attempt at it, that's on that bluish object on the uh, other picture from a completely different location. Uh, right. That surprises me.
0: That, it looks kind okay, of cat-like, maybe, maybe. It has that. Well, it's the eye thing. Okay, uh, pause
2: for pause for commercial load.
0: Mm. Yeah, we're running a- Whoops, hit the wrong pot. <laughs> okay, um, let me do this. Oh, tonight, my timekeepers are not keeping up with where we are. Mm. So, you're on the other side of midnight. One half hour left to go. Will we get to the end of all the pictures? Well, of course not. But it's always better to have too much than too little. One year of perseverance on Mars with stunning correlations. That it was an ancient place of habitation. But habitation by whom? Come back in a couple minutes. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. <laughs>
5: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Oh. Listen while you travel, or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: Welcome back everyone, one last half hour to go on this uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning in February, February 20th now, one year and two days after the Perseverance rover landed on the planet Mars in a place called the Jezero crater and discovered something so extraordinary, probably The most extraordinary thing you could imagine a rover finding on another world. The surviving remnants of an ancient 30-mile-wide, 7-mile-high, give or take, glass dome. Still there, with enough left of it as ragged and moth-eaten and smashed and battered and abraded by countless sandstorms over countless thousands or tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of years, enough left to discern a stunning, extraordinary, high-tech civilization answer to Mars' deteriorating, inexorably worsening planetary environment. An example of high technology, allowing life to exist, where by itself, it would quickly become extinguished. So I want to direct everyone to number 17 of my items. Remember, click on Richard in the fast links up and down the page. This is, oh, it's actually much too big uh, for my screen you actually probably have to uh, uh, look at it. Um, you know, the, the dimensions are not appropriate to, to clicking on it because it gets much too big, uh, much too fast. You can scroll around and look. This is a color version of the descent imagery from the spacecraft from Perseverance as it was landing on the parachutes on Mars. And if you look very carefully, you will see near the horizon and above the horizon a series of arcing, sharp, white lines, both above and below the midpoint, which is the uh, vanishing point of an artistic projection. This is a panorama when the spacecraft was on the parachute descending from some of the GoPro images all knitted together as a mosaic and you can literally see and it's labeled there if you uh, take it into an imaging program in your computer you can see that there are remaining geometric structures from this ancient glass dome both below and above the descending spacecraft on the parachute marked by the arrows and the annotations And the dotted line is the vanishing point of the horizon. Well, this was taken seven miles above the surface of a world where supposedly the atmosphere is one one hundredth as thick as on the Earth. So where is all that blue scattering? The blue skies of Mars. Where is it coming from? Obviously, NASA among other things, has not been telling us the truth about something as basic as the composition and the density and the surface pressure of the atmosphere of Mars. Number 18 and 19 are Bob uh, Harrison's, Robert Harrison's uh, discovery north of the Jezero Crater. Um, And you can see if you click on them, they get bigger. Two ancient arcologies. What's an arcology? It's basically a super, super, super enclosed building, a mega building, which can be miles across and miles high, built to house an environment and house millions of people, isolated, insulated, separated from a noxious or inimical environment outside it was the italian architect back in the late 1960s paolo Soleri, who first coined the term arcology which is a fusion of two words arc for architecture and ecology for ecology an architectural ecology an enclosed environment well Bob Harrison found in the immediate vicinity within a few miles of Jezero, extending all the way down on the right-hand side to the rim of Jezero, although we don't have the close-ups here, um, these incredible ancient, now open to the sky, extraordinary, formerly enclosed architectural ecologies on Mars. And my guesstimate, based on the pyramids we see in Sidonia, um, is that the epoch or era of Martian history, when these were used to house millions of potential Martian inhabitants, was on the order of a million to about a half a million years ago in Martian history. And subsequently, the environment continued to get worse, and worse, and worse, until ultimately the last surviving outpost of high technology can be found in the ancient dome over Jezero Crater, where Perseverance was deliberately targeted to land, in this hypothesis, to find out something about the previously inhabitable Mars. Which brings us to items 20 and 21, because in number 20, you'll see a MRO, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, close up of a set of pyramids at the southern end of Jezero Crater. The ones on the left are large. They're several miles across. The ones on the right are smaller, almost like they represent two successive eras of construction. And then the number 21, when you click on them, uh, I reversed geometrically the big ones to show that they are mirror images of the smaller set. And if you look at the inset objects below, they are actually mirror images of the geometric arrangement of the pyramids on the Giza Plateau on Earth which are a mirror image of the Orion belt star constellations, which shine both above the earth and Mars in the night sky. And it was the discovery of these mirror images of the Giza geometry that prompted an astonishing set of speculations between Andrew and myself. So Andrew, let's come back in and tell us what it is we think we are seeing in Jezero on Mars.
3: Yeah. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Richard. Yeah. If we go to my items again, fast links, and you go to my number seven poster, uh, the title is as above, so beside, and you can zoom in, <laughs> <Very> <laughs> zoom in on it. And, uh, um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, what I did is fit this area, I enhanced it a bit and then I put these, um, boxes around it, these little yellow boxes so I I, I um, labeled it Percy Gezzaro, Pyramids MRO Enhanced, Orion, Inset Mintaka Clock uh, and Mirror um, that was basically jumping from Richard's title and I started to notice um, for, for me Richard uh, a, okay one of the things I want to lay out here is often the materials and the ruins that we believe we're seeing throughout the solar system I've often said this and even Richard, when you were showing the, the, the you know, the dome, like that shattered dome, there's such a beautiful elegance, even in its tattered state. This solar system wide civilization just had this wonderful continuity of elegance. I I, I don't know how else to, to put it. And what I noticed is I started to Well, mess they around. were
0: artists and you know, yes. it kinda of takes one to resonate with one. You're it, resonating because you're an artist and they were artists. They were the most consummate artists that I've ever seen, except for, you know, the greats here on earth, you know, Picasso and, and Da Vinci and whatever. But these guys were even better because they well, sculpted yes. on a scale of miles. Yes. Not and and,
2: and they, did it with, they did it with the energy of a speed freak scribbling on uh, napkins in a it, coffee it, shop in the middle of the night. It's yes. amazing.
4: Yes, Ron, and it's almost like they're 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 doing it in a multi-dimensional way. Like it's cubism gone bananas. It's there's there's such a not only elegance but depth and many 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 sides all being seen seen at the same time. Which to me, Richard, talks about multi dimensions. And you know, one of the things that I did here is I started to make calligraphic calligraphic lines. And I shared it with Robert Morningstar. And you can see that in, in just below the, the image I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And immediately he came out and he says, oh, you've done Chinese characters. Where have you been practicing?
2: Because I just ah. gave him a
4: scribble. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, you just made a Chinese character. And I said, I did. And so I'll, I'll, I'll read what he had written to me in an email. He says, if you join the two strokes that I had made, it symbolizes a walking man. If you add the third stroke, so that's the one below – um, onto them, in the crook of the legs, it means walking man with penis.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: if you were to draw a horizontal cross through the rock walking man. Oh, that
2: low-hanging fruit.
4: Oh, <But God>. oh, oh. <laughs> Thanks, Ron.
0: <laughs> wait, Sorry. Wait <laughs> I, I can't get that image out of my mind. Ah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Robert went on. And he says, if you were to draw a horizontal cross through the walking man across the top part like an like outstretched arms and Richard you know if I was to go a little higher I wondering what I would find in the landscape right. perhaps arms at the it means a th- uh, tie or I'm, I'm saying it wrong Robert I know you're listening or huge supremely big as in Tai Chi sh- shuan. and um
0: so supreme yeah,
4: supremely big supreme yes and uh, you know again Richard I'm 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 I could be projecting.
0: But it's Well think about (laughs) what this is supposed to be representational of. The constellation of Orion. Yeah. Which is supremely big and Osiris was the chief honcho of the ancient Egyptians, the god, you know, the big guy, Mr. Supreme. I mean it kind of all fits.
4: Oh. That's what I mean is that either we're just uh, – I don't know how we're adding meaning. I mean, again, we couldn't do this in nature. I don't believe this. I, I can't go no, down no, to no. the local forest and do this. I, do, I Maybe I could to a degree, but not on so many levels. But I want to quickly jump over to my number eight because I know we're getting close to the edge here. And this one's uh, – my poster number eight is called Reflections of a Former Self. And so again, I enhanced – well Richard you're, you already went through this is, and I just emphasized your idea of this mirror image and then I did some terrestrial examples of how we on earth will often put our our very large monuments with
0: what, what are they called contemplation pools
4: giant you know very Reflecting shop, pools,
0: shop. like the Reflecting mall pools. like on the mall exactly. in Washington
4: exactly and Right away, I was struck with, oh my gosh richard this is this is talking about a mirrored dimension we you know I, this is the feeling I got as I started to look at these monuments here on earth, so do you wanna take it from there?
0: No, <laughs> where are <you> going <laughs> no.
4: well, I mean, this is no. this idea that you know are we in a backwater? Have we been
0: well the thing <laughs> actually let me, let me it. Yeah. i mean correct that you know for a minute. Because when I found the backwards uh, Giza, this pattern repeating, but backward and on a different scale, that told me like a before and after. The big guys, the big pyramids, which are backward compared to the Giza geometry or the Bell Stars of Orion, uh, that was some previous era when they could build bigger, you know, better technology, better manipulation of energy resources just more accomplished and the smaller version, which was the mirror image of the big guys, which is now what we see at Giza or in the sky with Orion that was done after, like there was a before and an after of some event, some, some thing, some intersection, some, some demarcation, some before this, there was one set of conditions and after this, There was another set of conditions, and the thing that occurred to me was the mirroring as if the solar system had been placed in some kind of bubble, hyperdimensional space-time bubble, where we were cut off from the reality of higher dimensions, like the Phantom Zone in the Superman epic series, going back to the original with um, um, – what's his name – uh, oh. uh Reeves.
3: Reeves.
0: Reeves. Reeves. no i'm thinking Reeves. i'm thinking of jarrell marlon brando, marlon brando oh. playing jarrell all right and basically condemning you know general zod and his hench men and women to forever live in the phantom zone until in the later movies they got them out with a nuclear explosion the point is there's a whole bunch of recent news stories in the mainstream that the solar system is engulfed in some kind of weird energetic bubble in the Milky Way stands about one half the distance between here and Orion kind of like it's an interface kind of like maybe we're in a bubble which is not in just three dimensions.
6: A pocket
2: universe, a phantom zone of our own.
0: Yeah, Or something that was created to stuff us into to keep us down on the farm to keep us from interacting. I have one of my rabbit,
2: holes, rabbit hole rabbit asides that supports the dimensional idea, in uh, which Maria would probably know something about the uh, the fairyland in um, uh, Gaelic myth, uh, Tir You know the where the uh, where the elves and the leprechauns and whatever come from. The uh, that seems to be another dimension because there was a cautionary thing in the folklore that said if you are taken to the fairy realm and don't eat the food however delicious it is because if you eat the if you eat very much of the food you won't be able to come home
0: oh and my that sounds
2: like if somebody changes to another dimension then if you if your body starts assimilating material from that
0: dimension it becomes increasingly hard to come back to this one well it's there's a, a whole mystery assumption. in there's a whole mystery in biology called the isomer mystery you have lots of different molecules like sugars where if they're left-handed i may have this wrong yeah you can you can you can get you know food sustenance nutrition energy from burning from metabolism left-handed sugars if you make sugar as a right-handed molecule it does nothing for you you will die you'll starve same substance same chemistry but the left and the right mirror imaging, one works and one does not. And there's a whole bunch I of other it's examples. Chirology. it's called It's yeah. called chirility. Chirology? Yeah. No, it's called chirility, not chirology. That, that would be like astrology. No, chirality is the oh. mirroring, left and right. Then here's something really weird. We flash forward the film now to the last two months of my life where I've been managing this extraordinary set of experiments, you know, sending radio messages to ET somewhere out there and we're getting messages. And when we decode them, we played some of them backward and they appear to be, get this mirror reversed transmissions. Like they're coming from outside our bubble, our phantom zone, someone communicating into the bubble, into our reality, but from a a perspective, a dimension where time is literally flowing backward compared to us.
2: You sure they weren't playing Hey Jude? Okay,
0: <laughs> bad, joke. Bad, joke. Uh, bad joke. Bad joke. Bad joke. Okay, I know,
2: but it, it's into those last thirty seconds of my. Uh, I have one more item just to mention. People can look at it when they want to, but it's. Uh, Number, uh, I thought it was important enough to include uh, number, where's the number, seven, the round one. That's one of those mast cam, super cam shots, which are all green, like Richard was explaining earlier.
0: You mean the telescope? It's basically a super telescope on on Percy. Right. So I figured out how
2: to color correct it back to what it's supposed to be. Nothing exotic or controversial. But uh, I said, okay, that's the proper color. Behold, it looks just like the dirt or the ground anywhere else on Mars. That's the right color. So they can do it if they want to, but for some reason, they never calibrated that camera. And incidentally, on this particular picture, of course, if you zoom in, there's a whole bunch of rusted metal sitting there. Can't be anything else. Can't be rocks. But the point was the color. So when you see those green things, don't be scared of them. Just fix them. <laughs> then you'll see what's really there. Uh, well, we actually got through everything. Good for you, Richard. Well, not quite. Good for you, Andrew. Good for quite. you,
6: Andrew. Because
0: oh. there's a whole bunch of stuff Uh-oh. that that Keith wanted to talk about that we'll talk about Keith in another show when we have lots more time because he has now brought all of this analysis to bear on a very remote and totally um uh kind of neglected piece of real estate here on earth in North America, in Utah. And it's looking from his analysis, and we will do something serious with this, as if the same kind of Mm -hmm. ancient mega glyphs on the landscape that the Martians did on Mars, when they came to Earth, which is our model, they did the same thing here. But the structures are so old and so ancient that nobody has recognized them as artificial Uh, geoglyphs of massive ancient artwork they've assumed they're just natural erosion of rocks and cliffs and uh, balance beams and stuff like that having nothing to do with the hand of humanity or human beings or intelligence and Keith is making a really great case that we have overlooked something stunning in our own backyard because we're not very good at noticing Anomalies and putting them into the right picture. So I promise you, Keith, in the next few weeks, couple of weeks, we'll do the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, and we'll do proper credit to the amazing database that you have accumulated, based loosely in the environs where the mysterious monolith suddenly appeared a few months ago in an obscure canyon. Uh, in the southwest corner of, uh, of, of Utah. So I want to, for the remaining moments of the show, we've got about three or four minutes, I want to talk about this idea of mirroring and that we're in some kind of pocket, um, artificially maintained isolation bubble, and that whoever's trying to communicate is trying to tell us maybe, at some point, how to get out of the phantom zone. Andrew, what do you think?
4: Well, Richard, there is a very famous children's story by, do- I believe it's Dr. Seuss, called, well, it's this elephant that finds this civilization in a droplet of water, a bubble. And, you know, this, I, something, somebody sees Here's the Who. I actually can't, I, I can't remember the name of the elephant. It's been a long time since I read that book. Horton. Horton, Horton, hears,
0: Horton. Yeah, Horton hears Here's the hears who. who. Yep.
4: And, yep. Richard, it took everyone united because they a little they were basically he was on trial because he was crazy that he saw this this civilization because it was microscopic right and he was about to be killed and the bubble blown up or what are destroyed by the other you know oh didn't uh,
0: they all have to listen very carefully yes to the teeny tiny little voices coming from the bubble
4: right but one more thing richard there was a little girl, a little, a little who, who was in a closet playing with her toys, because they all had to, the mayor had to get everybody together or whatever, and they all had to say at the same time, you know, some word I can't remember what it was, and they finally found that her voice broke the bubble, and the communication came through, and the larger world became aware, and but it was a unified voice together. And it was a little, little girl in the end that had to sort of pop the bubble. So there's something here. There's something in our memory. There's something in our archives, our personal archives, our human archives that, are, that is starting to shine through, and
0: it's coming. What I find really interesting is that when I tried to do a dating of the reverse Giza pyramids, the miles across pyramids laid out in the same geometry at Giza but in the mirror image, mm-hmm. by using Mintaka's proper motion… Stars move through space in three dimensions, and if you chart their course, you can actually turn the clock back and figure out how long at their current velocity it took for them to get from point A to point B. I did all that, and uh, it turns out to be about half a million years, which increasingly was my initial dating from astronomical alignments of the face over the city square at Sidonia on Mars. So is that the time horizon half a million years ago when somehow something or someone cut us off from the larger reality and someone now through these strange radio signals is trying to reach out and talk to us and maybe tell us how to get out hmm. huh uh, Andrew
2: yes uh, uh, I have a quick question here at the end your last uh, poster there where you've got the pictures of the pyramids Richard was just talking about in uh, isn't that from Mars Express it says MRO on there could be we have to correct it if it is
0: guys yeah. the music. you museum want to get sued We're out of time. Hey, I want to thank both of you, Ron Gerbron and Andrew Curry. And I want to thank Keith for his patience and brilliant work in loading everything on the website. Tomorrow night, we're going to do something a little different. Remember, in a few hours, Maria makes her second foray into Stonehenge. She transmits more messages. We get more responses. And maybe, just maybe, someone beyond the bubble, will answer. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.